Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Why don't we start with MMA? Because you know we are big. This is a big combat sports house. Big UFC house. Big MMA house. And it was Dana White who appeared on the program yesterday. And Dana was talking about Saturday's UFC card. And it's a really good card. You've got two championship belts on the line at the very top of the card. But as I told Dana, even though the card is stacked and you've got a couple of title fights, the fight that I'm really interested in and the fight that most people who follow this type of thing is really interested in is the return of Nick Diaz. And not just the return of Nick Diaz, which in and of itself is an amazing thing for that sport, but it's Nick Diaz against Robbie Lawler in a rematch of their fight 17 years ago. This isn't one of those celebrity fight things where you get a couple of has-beens who need a paycheck. This is still Nick Diaz, all right? And this is an enormous Diaz family house. You probably know that. So as Dana and I talked about it, it would not be a Diaz fight week unless there was some sort of curveball. And I thought that the curveball was going to be Nick requesting during fight week to fight at 185 instead of 170. You know, all of a sudden, Nick in midweek's like, hey, yeah, by the way, yeah, not feeling 170. Why don't we do this at 185? If for anybody else, you'd be like, are you kidding me? But if Nick does it, it's just Nick being Nick, and it's awesome. And sure enough, the new weight was agreed upon yesterday when Lawler did show up in Las Vegas, and they're going to fight at 185. It's a wild move. It's a wild thing, or it would be if it didn't involve Nick. Another reason why I love Nick. Come to find out, though, that was not the biggest curveball. Because while I really wanted this fight, we've all been waiting for the triumphant return of Nick Diaz to the cage. While I really want this fight, apparently Nick himself does not at all. In fact, apparently Nick is not even sure why he's there at all. Like, what am I doing here? In fact, it sort of sounds like it's the last place he wants to be. Like, what am I here for? Right? I think. He sat down for an absolutely amazing interview with Brett Akamoto. And <laughs> this interview is incredible. All right, so he's talking about the buildup to the fight. And I've got to say, the interview itself, it really is. Even for a Diaz family member, it's one of the most compelling interviews I've ever seen. Ever. And I've made a living doing interviews for the last three decades. This is one of the most amazing interviews I've ever seen. Like, I'm not even sure I've ever seen an interview quite like this one. There is so much to like in this interview, which is why I'm starting with a reset of it today. Like the fact that Nick has been away for six years, and during that time he did some traveling, opened up a gym, wanted to do some teaching. But from the sounds of things, things with his business partners did not work out. So, he's back to fighting. It's just what I do, you know. It's just, it's just what I do. I try, to, I try to get away from it, but really it's, just, it's kind of inevitable. All right, so we're just getting started here. But that's Nick saying, hey, you know, I really don't, I don't even want to do it. I really don't even want to do it, but it was inevitable. I got inevitable. dragged back in. But then again, Nick Diaz, you know, just because he's fighting doesn't mean that he likes to fight. In fact, Nick's been on record for a pretty long time as saying he does not love fighting. He's made that pretty clear. So all the people around me and all the money and the sponsors and all that, they won't let me get away from fighting. You know, they, they just there's things I could do, but... 
that's not going to work out, you know. I might as well just go and, and take my punches. And You know, I don't want to look back and, and say, why did I not just do it, you know? Because even though I don't feel I don't feel great, I feel great great to fight. I don't feel great about everything. And, but I, if I don't do this, then I'm, I'm I don't know I don't know how how I'm gonna feel. I mean about myself. I mean, I'll tell you how you should feel about yourself. You should feel like you're a legend. I should have told you. Listen very carefully to these sound bites. Listen very carefully to what this guy says because that is a wild series of statements. Like, he's saying that he wants to get away from fighting. He doesn't want to fight, but the elements around him will not let him get away from fighting. And then he'll tell you, I don't really like fighting, but I feel great about fighting. But I don't feel great about anything else involved other than that. Now, I'm guessing he's not alone in that. Let me tell you something about Nick, and then let me tell you something about every other fighter. Just about every other fighter on the planet will shift into fight mode when they talk about their opponent. They will tell you how confident they are. They will tell you about all the pain they're about to inflict on their opponent. Not Nick Diaz. Listen to what Nick says about this fight. Do I feel confident? I never do. I never have. I've always felt like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get trashed out there. Like I, Every fight I've ever done. So, oh, how do you feel against Robbie Lawler? How do you feel? I feel like I'm going to get out of me. And even when I win... I get beat up worse. So awesome. It is such an honest response. It's like the most honest response I've ever heard from a fighter. Because you know guys think that, but they would never say it. And he makes the point that, you know what? I might get the bleep beat out of me. And even if I win, I still get beat up. It's a fight. It's not a basketball game or even a football game. You're stepping into a cage with a guy whose sole purpose is to leave you and render you unconscious or put you in so much pain that he makes you quit. So even if you win, you're still getting punched in the face. You're still getting elbowed. You're still getting kneed in the head. You can win and still get the hell beat out of you. And Nick is the first guy that I've ever heard who was honest enough and real enough to say, quote, how how do you you feel? feel? How do you feel against Robbie Lawler? I feel like I'm going to get the bleep beat out of me. How do you feel against Robbie Lawler? How do you feel? I feel like I'm going to get the out of me. It's so great and so honest and so real. This is why people love the Diaz bros. Because Nick is the only guy to say what so many other fighters are thinking but don't want to say. He knows that. He knows how other fighters think. He knows how other fighters feel going into a fight, the week of the fight. I'm kind of a dark and dim person leading up to a fight because I, I just despise these people who are, are happy to go out. Another great line. I'm a dark and dim dude going into a fight, and I despise these people who are happy to go out there. I'm kind of a dark and dim person leading up to a fight because I, I just despise these people who are, are happy to go out there. Can you see why everybody missed Nick so much over the past six years? Because we've missed hearing that. That's the kind of thing you're only going to hear from Nick. Or maybe Nate. And speaking of things you're only going to hear from Nick, this is Nick talking about what it was like to watch little bro, Nate, lose to Leon Edwards earlier this year. Being away for five years and coming back and seeing that, that was that was really something new you know it really kind of knocked it really kind of knocked knocked my block off you know like 
I took harder punches watching that than I ever did in sparring or in any fights. It's just my it's my brother, it's my baby brother, you know. It's hard to watch him fight. Man, I'm telling you, again, the Stone Cold Truth, and I get it. It would be brutal to watch your brother take shots like that. As the brother and the older brother, especially, I can see how those punches to Nate would hit Nick harder than anything that Nick faces in sparring or in a fight because it's personal. Like, this is another reason why the Diaz brothers, to me, are the absolute best. A lot of it's personal. It is business, but it's so personal. Like, that's not the first time Nick has expressed profound love for baby bro Nate publicly. And considering these are two of the baddest, proudest dudes ever, I love seeing that. That said, and that aside for a moment, if Nick is in such a dark and dim place at the moment, and he saw his brother take all those shots, and he admitted that he's bracing to get the bleep kicked out of him as well, do you sense a lack of confidence? Do you sense that maybe he, he's not in the right headspace? That he's not confident? <clears throat> You'd be wrong about that. Because he's got more thoughts on facing Lawler. Like the fact that he doesn't even think that he should be facing Lawler. He'd rather be fighting the welterweight champ, Kamaru Usman. The same Usman who Dana White told me on this show yesterday is the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world. Nick thinks that's the guy he should be fighting. I think I'll beat Usman. I had a better shot at beating Usman than I do Lawler just because I already beat Lawler. This, is, this doesn't make sense for me to go in there and fight Robbie Lawler again. I don't know why, this, why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm doing this. This should not happen. Whoever set this up is an idiot. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why this happened. I should be fighting Kamar Usman, and that's it. Uh, best guy ever? Best dude ever? Best soundbite ever? Listen, did you know that a fire department responds to a fire every 24 seconds? I mean, incredible, right? Fire Prevention Month is in October, so it's right around the corner. And it's never too early to start preparing. And we have teamed up with First Alert, the most trusted brand in fire safety to help protect your entire family with safety that you know you can trust. Smoke and carbon monoxide alarms to help provide an early warning in the event of a home emergency. Having enough First Alert smoke and carbon monoxide alarms is one of the best things that you can do for your family and your home. You want to install alarms on every single level and in every bedroom of your home. Then, once the alarms are installed, it is important to maintain them by testing them with regularity. Also, remember, alarms do not last forever. They do need to be replaced at least every 10 years. If you cannot remember the last time you replaced your alarm, it is best to replace that unit completely. For a replacement option, my favorite is First Alert's 10-Year Sealed Battery Alarms. 10-Year Sealed Battery Alarms are convenient and they eliminate the need for battery replacements for a decade. Lastly, take this time to discuss home safety with your family. Plan and practice an escape route and remember to practice it at least twice a year. And for more information on fire safety products, safety tips, and educational activities that you can do at your home with your family, go to firstalert.com slash fire prevention month. Everybody should be doing this with their family. Go to firstalert.com slash fire prevention month. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm fighting Robbie Lawler. Whoever set that up is an idiot. I shouldn't be doing this. I should be fighting Usman. 
I mean, how good is that? Whoever set this up is an idiot. How Diaz is that? This is a guy who has not been in a UFC cage in more than six years. And he's saying that in his return fight, he should be taking on the champ. The best in the world pound for pound. And not only should he be taking on the champ, he's saying, I'd beat the crap out of the champ. It's so awesome. Like, I love the fact that he goes from saying, you know, I think I might get the bleep beaten out of me by Lawler, to saying that me fighting him is idiotic, and I could beat the bleep out of Usman. And he says all this, like, in a matter of moments. To hear Nick Diaz tell it, Nick Diaz is the best fighter in the world, but at the same time, the worst fighter in the world. And normally I would say pick one. It can't be both. But in this case, I get it. It kind of actually is. And you know why? This is the first guy and the only guy to let us in. These are real, raw emotions that fighters go through on fight week. When things do get dark and dim and your confidence and emotions are all over the place. The difference is this dude's not trying to hide it. Not only is he not trying to hide it, he's wearing it on his sleeve for everybody to see. Which is why almost everybody in that business loves him and his bro. And yes, he really does believe that he could beat the bleep out of Usman. And not only that, but according to Nick, it would be easier to beat him than it would be to beat Lawler because he already beat Lawler. Never mind that when he beat Lawler, Usher's yeah was on top of the charts and 50 first dates was in theaters. Oh, and the fact that he doesn't even know why he's doing it. And that it should not happen. And quote, whoever set this up is an idiot. Whoever set this up is an idiot. It's just amazing. Just amazing. That's why it's so awesome to have Nick Diaz back. Because nobody else brings that kind of smoke. Nobody. Nobody. Except maybe baby bro. And just in case you were wondering... Just because Nick thinks that he should be fighting the champ. And just because Nick thinks that the fight with Lawler should not happen. Just because he feels like he's going to get the bleep beaten out of him by Lawler. Do not confuse that with Nick thinking that Nick's not going to win. Because he does believe he'll win. And that Lawler doesn't even deserve to get his ass whooped. He don't deserve to get his ass whooped. And I know I'm going to beat the out of him and I don't want to. My man. My man is all over the place, and it is absolutely awesome. Let me tell you my two favorite people in the world right now. Nick Diaz and Nate Diaz. Absolutely. I had no idea what to expect from that interview. Just like I really have no idea what to expect from him on Saturday. I mean, the guy has been gone for six years. I don't know if Lawler is going to beat the crap out of him, or if he's going to beat the crap out of Lawler, or both. But I know this. It is damn good to have Nick Diaz back. 209 forever, baby. 209 forever. And one thing, as you can tell, I rarely disagree with Nick, but I may have to disagree with this. That part about him saying, whoever put this fight together is an idiot. To me, whoever put that fight together is a genius because it brought Nick back. Whoever set this up is an idiot. I can't get enough of that, man. What a great, great interview. ESPN, Brett Akimoto, and just Nick doing Nick things, saying Nick things. This is why we talk MMA. This is why I have Dana White on. This is why I'm always hyping the Diaz boys. I love these guys. I mean, that, that is such an unusual and awesome interview. Absolutely incredible.
So now hearing all that, what do you think we're going to get this weekend? I have no idea. I know I can't wait. 1-800-636-8686. 1-800-636-8686. That was so unusual I had to start with that. Other things I want to get to. It's not like I want to keep talking about Herb, but Herb keeps doing dumb things. Things that are bad optically, things that are not good for the Jags or for his legacy. And I've got another example of that. So I've got an update on Herb and the Jags. I'll give you a little teaser on that. Before the game against the Broncos, he was talking to Vic Fangio and was talking about, man, The players in this league are good. It's like playing Alabama every week. Yet, no kidding, Herb. Did you not know what you signed up for? The 49ers are busted up. Busted the hell up. Especially in their running back room. I got a solution. I know exactly who they should bring into their running running back room. The guy who's been there before. The guy who wants to be there still. No names mentioned. Franklin freaking Gore. Hell yeah. Yeah, I said it, clones. Something I meant to get to yesterday. Ben Roethlisberger and his pain and where that leaves them. Sounds like he's hurting but wants to give it a go, and I want to reset that. Something else I didn't get to yesterday that I may reset today. Ben Simmons and whether or not that situation can be rectified. He's made it clear. I'm not reporting. I'm not playing. Fans have made it pretty clear in Philly. Yeah, we don't care, dude. We don't want you here. Trust the process? Problem is, with the process, they can't get what they want for him. So can you bring the guy back? Can it still work? All of that is still ahead. What do you say you pick up the phone, you dial the toll-free number, you lob me a call, I get you on the air, you make it better. Maybe you even rip a golden ticket. It's still a thing. The smack-off next year. You still get big money if you win, and then you still get something that you can't even put a price tag on. Immortality. Legacy. Let me ask you something, and tell me if this sounds familiar. You've got one device that allows you to catch the game live, another one that lets you stream your favorite shows, you're watching sports highlights on your phone, and you've got your neighbor's best friends log in for the good stuff. Well, let me tell you about a very simple way to get all that entertainment you love without the hassle and a great way to finally get your TV together. It's called Direct TV Stream, and it brings your live TV and on-demand favorites all together like never before. So you can watch your favorite sports, movies, and shows all in one place. What that means is no more juggling remotes, no more need to buy another device ever again. And the best part, there is no annual contract that rules So get rid of the clutter because clutter's the worst. Get rid of the confusion and get your TV together with DirecTV Stream. You can learn more at directtv.com. That's directtv.com. Compatible devices required. Content varies by package. He is Reggie Wayne. Reggie, it is so good to have you on. Reggie, how are you? I'm good, Jim. Appreciate you having me. God, so good to have you, Reggie. Great to hear your voice. Now, let me ask you, I want to talk about a number of things with you, but you had a tweet last week that I thought was really interesting. Let me read this. Quote, I'm not buying into all these teams in the NFL until week three, maybe week four. As much as we players may not want to play in preseason games, it's necessary on so many levels. Them joint practices during training camp are cool and all, but it's not a real game. End of quote. I think that's really interesting. Can you start there? Break that down. How important are preseason games? from a receiver standpoint and then how long does it take for most guys to get their timing down 
Well, you got to understand, Jim, you know, you're going in, you know, especially nowadays, right, you're with the OTAs and all that stuff. It's 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 not like it was like when I first got in the league. You know, it's, everything is it's no pads and some no helmets, you know, and you're just basically out there running on air, you know, no competition, whatever the case may be. But the preseason is one of those things where I, I really feel like it, it helps you kind of get back into football shape, right, get back into the game. Like games – it moves so fast. It, everything happens in a split of a second. Joint practices, joint practices is cool. It's, it's cool to have, but it's nowhere close to being in the game. And like, and like you mentioned about with my quote, like as much as us, especially veteran players, we don't want to play in preseason, and, and it's mainly because like the pay is not the same, and two, you don't want to get hurt. You know what I mean? And you know, but for a receiver, like we need we need that timing with the quarterbacks. You know, you really do. And some people may argue, well, that's what you practice for. Yeah, but practice and games aren't the same. You know, practice when 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 it may be, you know, if if it's a if it's a, you know, a, um camp practice that may have a few thousand people compared to 65,000 people, that's a difference in itself. You know what I mean? And now you got somebody that's really trying to make a roster, you know, and out there, and they know that their moms and dad and friends are watching, you know, like they're coming after you, you know what I mean? So, like, it's just a difference all across the board, and I think it's necessary. You know, I just, for myself, and I may I may not be able to speak for a lot of, you know, players or former players, you know, but me, I needed that time to go out there and catch a pass from Peyton Manning, catch a pass from Andrew Lux, just to get that timing down, just because it's it's a different element, it's a different feel, and I really feel like, Right now, the first two weeks, you know, a lot of teams are missing that. And I, and I think, to be honest with you, that's, that's my favorite team, Indianapolis Colts. I think these first two weeks was a preseason game for them. So right now, this week, I really feel like we're going to find out who they are and it couldn't happen to, you know, with a better opponent with Tennessee Titans coming in, for one, a division opponent, and two, a team where a lot of people have rated high. So they got a chance to show everybody what they can do. I appreciate that response. Reggie Wayne joining us. He's appearing courtesy of DraftKings, which we will get into in a moment or two. Reggie, I had Aqib Tlaib on the show recently. We were talking about his trip to Canton for the induction of Peyton Manning. I know you were there as well for Peyton and Edwin James. What was that experience like for you and to see those two guys go in? Man, it was great. You know, whenever, whenever you get, you know, teammates going in, um, you're excited for them. Um, you're enjoying the experience, you know, and, and these guys deserve it. You know, they, they really do. I've, I've watched these guys for years, uh, put the hard work in, lead by example, um, become professionals. Um, and man, I can go back, Jim, if, if you don't mind, like the last, the last three or four, you know, hall of fames, I've been there, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I've been there with, you know, Bill Polian, uh, uh, Marvin Harrison, Tony Dungy, you know, my college roommate and great friend, brother, you know, Ed Reed, and then you have Peyton and Nedrin, you know, so like, man, I've, 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 I probably all own a little stock somewhere in Canton. I've been there the last few years, you know what I mean? But man, I'm just, I'm glad to see it, you know, these guys going. We know that these is, you know, you know, once you're in there, you're amongst the elite of the elite. And um, just seeing my friends and teammates go in and coaches. You know, it's it's outstanding. Well-deserved. Reggie Wayne joining us. Reggie, you're a candidate for the Hall of Fame yourself again this year. What's that process been like for you personally, and what would it mean for you to go in? 
you know, personally, I'm just enjoying the ride. You know, I've I've been blessed enough. This is my third year, as you mentioned. Um, I've I've been blessed to be a finalist the first two years. Uh, you know, so I, I've been the last couple of years been the queen of England. I just go around and wave, you know, and I enjoy it. You know, um, and I understand that's a process. And and you know, as much as you may think, you know, you know that process, you don't. You know, but so you just you just wait until they until they call your name or knock on your door, I should say. And uh, once they do it, it, it would be an honor. I mean, it's it's only so many people. What is it like, three hundred and forty guys in a, in a Hall of Fame? Like, it, it's it's great. Like, it's the elite of the elite. You can't get any a, a higher honor than the Hall of Fame. And and as a kid, you know, I don't even know if I knew what the Hall of Fame was as a kid. I didn't. I didn't want to be a football player when I was seven years old to be a Hall of Famer. You know, I just wanted to be, wanted to play football. That's all I ever wanted to do. That was my dream. You know, so to to live out my dream and being a, you know, have an opportunity to be amongst the the, the best to ever play, it, it would be a humbling experience, man. It, it really would be, and I would be excited. We're talking ball with Reggie Wayne. It is the most exclusive club there is. I got to ask you about this, too. You joined or you are joined on the list of modern era nominees by a couple of other Colts, including Reggie, one of my favorite guys ever, Bob Sanders. I've always been so just mesmerized. I mean, like so fascinated by Sanders and the intensity that he brought to it. What was he like as a teammate? It was great. He really was. Um, We knew if Bob was healthy and, and, and coming into a game, we know we had a, a a higher chance of winning because just like you say, he was going to bring that intensity. He was going to fire that defense up. He was going to figure out a way to to create a turnover. And and I think our defensive players they 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 loved when he was out there. You know, um, he was one of those guys where you know you look at him, he was quiet. You know, he he didn't say much. You know, but you you feel him when he come around you. You know, especially if he hits you. And, and I always laugh at Bob, man. Bob had one speed at practice. He had 100 miles per hour. That's all he had. And uh, we used to get on Bob, you know, because there would be a tip ball and Bob would be in practice diving for it. And we'd be like, whoa, 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 Bob. We, we, we need you, bro. We need you for the game. And he was like, man, I mean, he said, watch. That same tip pass is going to happen in the game. And I just want to make sure I can make that play. And sure enough, it will happen in the game. You know what I mean? Like, he he just lived every day in practice as if it was game form, and um, and that's what you respect about him. Such good stuff, and you are as you practice. Are you craving some great protein after a good workout? Of course you are, except this time, don't make a shake. Don't eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Well, it's awesome. And because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. And on top of that, Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can, in fact, taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, teriyaki, peppered, hot and spicy, if you need a little extra zing. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, reach for a bag of Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper What's Your Beef. 
Reggie Wayne joining us. Reggie, a while back, you were part of a panel with Ray Lewis, another guy you mentioned, Ed Reed, Michael Irvin, Jimmy Johnson in Miami. You yep. guys were talking about the U and what you all built at Miami. When you look back on that time at Miami, what are the memories that stick out to you the most, and what was that experience like? Man, the brotherhood, the fellowship. That's always what it is. You know, you know, you know. obviously, you know, uh, you know, college football is different now. These guys can go and they can make money off the field, you know, and stuff like that, you know. But when we were in school, we knew, like, we all was on the same playing field. There was no money. We all had the same goal, you know. We all wanted to be NFL players, and we all, we all uh, took care of each other. You know, one thing about Miami when we were there, man, if one guy went out, everybody went out. You know, we all stuck together no matter what. And, and, and that led to – on the field play. We didn't want to let our teammate down. You know, we knew we weren't going to win them all, you know, but I know, look, every play, you gave it everything you got, and I know, and you know that I was going to do the same. And that's kind of how it was. And, and that's still how it is, even after football. Like, we're still family. We still can call each other. We still can count on each other. We still can, can say, hey, hey, man, like, I need you for this appearance. Can you make it? Yeah, man, I'm there. I'm there. That's what we do. And, and, and man, I probably I probably got about five six chats on my uh, you know text messages you know it, it, with different players from college and uh, man it it lives on it, it really does and that's what you miss you know obviously you know, the games and stuff were fun and and all that stuff but just the stuff we did outside of the football you know field just hanging out and just talking stories you know that's what you miss like my my roommate was Ed Reed you know and I, you know and and, and we just sitting back with the same vision, wanting to play in the NFL, wanting to, you know, not even not even thinking about a Hall of Fame status. We just wanted to be good teammates and good players, you know. And we sat back and we talk about that, and that's stuff we talk about today when we sit down. You're like, man, you remember sitting in the apartment and we sitting up there, you know, just talking about man, you know, being good NFL football players and lining up across each other and and things like that. And and now he's in the Hall of Fame. I, I got a chance to be in the Hall of Fame. That's that's what make all those times sweet. You know, that's what we enjoy. That's what I miss both, uh, the most. I can't get enough of it. The you, the brotherhood. I always love hearing those anecdotes and those stories. Reggie Wayne, my guest. So, Reggie, you're working with DraftKings today. I mean, I could talk to you for hours, but I want you to lay that out for me. What are you doing with the folks at DraftKings? Yeah, you know, DraftKings is doing something special, man. And, and, and NFL football is the most popular sport across DraftKings products. And with this new 2021 season underway, you know, I've decided to team up with DraftKings to – to help, you know, everybody get into action. And um, this season, DraftKings Sportsbook and Daily Fantasy are doing some special things with promos and offerings to all the users and fans. And uh, like this week alone, DraftKings will, you know, DraftKings will offer sports betting. It's, 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 you know, same game parlays up to $25. And they got this new thing called Wild Cards where, you know, customers who either enter the DFS contest or place a sports wager will receive a digital card. You know, that features a player challenge, and instantly they can win prizes up to $50 million in, in total prizes, you know, and a trip to the Super Bowl. So DraftKings is doing something. They're taking, they're taking advantage of all of this sports betting, and uh, they want everybody else to do the same. So if that's your bag, why not, man? Give it a shot. Exactly. And I joined in, Jim. I joined in with him. That's how special it is. No, I love it. I love it. it. If that is your bag, you should give it your shot, and it should be your bag. Yes. 
Really quickly, Rich, I want to ask you about one thing, and we're kind of tight on time, but you, on that panel we mentioned, you were talking about a game against Syracuse that you did not play in because you got hurt, and Syracuse didn't just mm-hmm. beat you guys, but they ran it up. You've called that kind of like a, a pivotal point, a critical point, a changing point of your entire yeah. life. How so? Well, you know, it, it was one of those things where, I you know, I, I told my my ACL the week before, or the week of, I should say, and... Um, they ran the score up. Donovan McNabb and them ran the score up, man. They really did. They beat a 66-13, if I'm not mistaken. And what our receiver coach did, you know, and they were going to the Orange Bowl. What our receiver coach did, he brought all the receivers back and made us watch them celebrate. It, it, and we sat there and watched them throw oranges all across the field and fans cheering. And that kind of opened our eyes a little bit. That really did. That made us think, like, we got a lot of work to do, and we want to celebrate just like these people. You know, and um, we 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 went back on the plane, and we told that story to everybody, and they kind of, you know, everybody the, the plane got quiet, you know, because, you know, we looked at it like it was a form of a little bit of disrespect, but guess what? If we would have played better, they wouldn't have ran the score up. <laughs> you know, that's how we look at it. You know, but it was just one of those things where we knew we had a lot of work to do, and um, from that point on, you know, Jim, we we. We vowed to, to become better players, better students of the game. And um, after that, we went on to play against the NC uh, – well, actually, I want to say they went on to play uh, UCLA. Edwin James had 300 yards. And, and then we played, you know, uh, against Torrey Holton, NC State, in the Mike Brown PC Bowl. And uh, we won that game. And after that, man, we just went on a string. We went 11-1, 12-0, and 12-0. and Like, it just – to me, it opened up everybody's eyes and, and made us realize that, man, if we want to become a good team, look at these dudes celebrate. Remember this feeling. Remember how it felt. And it, it wasn't a good feeling. And um, it, 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 we really grew from that. Ask me, Reggie, you've got a Hall of Fame resume, Hall of Fame numbers, Hall of Fame career, Hall of Fame mindset for sure. So when you get that yellow jacket, you make sure you stop by here again because I got a lot of other things I want to talk to you about. And I want to thank you very much for that conversation. That's how you do it. That's a great conversation right there. Reggie Wayne, appearing courtesy of DraftKings. Reggie, I appreciate you so much, and thank you very much for doing it. That was a blast. Appreciate you having me, Jim. Listen, did you know that a fire department responds to a fire every 24 seconds? I mean, incredible, right? Fire Prevention Month is in October, so it's right around the corner. And it's never too early to start preparing. And we have teamed up with First Alert, the most trusted brand in fire safety to help protect your entire family with safety that you know you can trust. Smoke and carbon monoxide alarms to help provide an early warning in the event of a home emergency. Having enough First Alert smoke and carbon monoxide alarms is one of the best things that you can do for your family and your home. You want to install alarms on every single level and in every bedroom of your home. Then, once the alarms are installed, it is important to maintain them by testing them with regularity. Also, remember, alarms do not last forever. They do need to be replaced at least every 10 years. If you cannot remember the last time you replaced your alarm, it is best to replace that unit completely. For a replacement option, my favorite is First Alert's 10-Year Sealed Battery Alarms. 10-Year Sealed Battery Alarms are convenient and they eliminate the need for battery replacements for a decade. Lastly, take this time to discuss home safety with your family. Plan and practice an escape route and remember to practice it at least twice a year. And for more information on fire safety products, safety tips, and educational activities that you can do at your home with your family, go to First 
alert.com slash fire prevention month. Everybody should be doing this with their family. Go to firstalert.com slash fire prevention month. Jim Trotter is my guest. Jim, what's going on? How are you? Romy, I think I'm a Peloton legend in my own mind, man. No, you're not, dude. You're a legend in my mind as well, I know, because I spent a lot of time on that thing, so I know you are a legend. Jim, it's really good to have you on. I want to ask you, there's so much football to talk about, but something we have not talked about, academics. You are an adjunct professor at San Diego State. What has that experience been like so far? Uh, it's been amazing. Uh, you know, I was approached by their new director, relatively new director, um, about doing it, and I had never taught before, and I thought that it was an opportunity to really um, have an impact on the next generation of sports journalists coming up and to kind of impart anything that I've learned that potentially could help them, you know, as they embark on this journey. And, and um, it's been fun. It, it's um, I tell them, you know, it's funny, after the first class, they were like, man, we're really excited that you're here. And my attitude was, I'm more excited to be here, simply because I think sometimes when you do this for so long, I don't want to say you get on cruise control, but you can get away from the excitement um, of what got you into it. And so to be around these young people and to see the enthusiasm that they have, it just it sort of reinvigorates me. 100%. I absolutely understand what you're saying. One more thought about that before we move on. I mean, if being taught by you were not good enough, the students in your class were treated to a guest appearance from the legend himself, Raymond Ritter. Now, Jim, I've been hyping Ray on this show for as long as I can remember because he is just so good at what he does. What was it like having Ray in the house and having him talk to the students? Uh, amazing, to, to, to sum it up in one word. You know, what I did is, is that the first week of class, I asked each of the students to identify one person that they would want to come in and lecture um, about the business and, and, and what they can expect as they get in the business. And, and not surprisingly, they, they came up with a lot of um, broadcast folks, you know, who are on screen and that sort of thing. And me personally, I said, I also I, I want them to understand this job, not just from our perspective in terms of what we go through, but the perspective of, of the team and the players um, in terms of what they expect from the media and how to build relationships with those teams and players. And so obviously, as you just said, Ray is one of the all-time greats. Um, I've known him from back when I used to cover the NBA, and he was an assistant with the Lakers and now being the, the senior VP of communications for the Warriors. And he came in and he just imparted you know, his wisdom in terms of what he has seen from reporters um, over their time, over his time working with them, and, and, and the qualities and traits that he believes um, can help make journalists successful in terms of doing their job on a day-to-day basis. So it was really fantastic, and you know we're indebted to him for giving his time coming in and talking to them. Agreed. I'm so glad you brought him in. I love Ray. Ray is such a pro. He is one of the best to ever do it. I mean, literally a legend. We're talking to yeah. Jim Trotter. So, Jim, let's talk some football for a minute. You have a great piece up on NFL.com about the Dallas Cowboys defense and how they showed up in Week 2 in that win over the Chargers. I mean, going into that, I mean, the defense has been maligned enough as it is, and they were banged up. What were your expectations for that defense that day? I mean, truthfully, they weren't very high. And when you talk about a unit that was historically bad last year, a unit that gave up 31 in the season opener, a unit that is without both starting defensive ends, and not only that, but you don't find out until midweek that you're going to be without both defensive ends um, in terms of Demarcus Lawrence breaking a foot. 
So now you've got to make a sudden switch and you, and you take <clears throat> a rookie linebacker who is, I don't want to say struggling, but he's going through the process of learning to play linebacker in the NFL. And you say, we're going to put you a defensive end, you know, a position you haven't played since high school. And Micah Parson goes out and just plays phenomenally. And so they're facing an offense that has a quarterback who was the offensive rookie of the year last year, a receiving core that's one of the deepest in the NFL, you know, a unit, an offense that, that is very highly regarded. And they allow that unit to drive to, to the Dallas 33-yard line or closer on each of its seven possessions, and yet they give up only one touchdown. I just thought it was a per- phenomenal performance by them and by Dan Quinn, their defensive coordinator, to get them all up and ready to play. Me too. I did not see that coming. I never would have thought they could have played as well as they did, given who they are, what they have, and then what they were missing. Jim Trotter is joining us. Jim, you also have a piece up on Matthew Stafford. And, you know, Stafford's made a point that he wanted to play in games that matter. I'm curious, Jim, how do you think he's going to respond to the pressure then that comes with playing in big games week in and week out for a team that has Super Bowl aspirations? I think he's going to be fine. You know, sometimes, Jim, these guys, we, we I don't want to say we overlook you know, their greatness or their ability um, when they play on bad teams. But I don't think Stafford has ever fully gotten the due um, of just how talented he really is. And I think the fact that his abilities are now married with, you know, Sean McVay's um, beautiful mind, if you will, when it comes to play design and play calling, uh, I think it's phenomenal to watch these two. And I believe that they're only going to get better as the season goes on. We know that one of the things, one of the reasons for bringing in Stafford is that the Rams wanted to be able to push the ball down the field more. They wanted more air yards as it relates to that. Well, I mean, he's tied for first in the league already with touchdown uh, or with completions of 40 or more yards. So they're getting what they want from him. And the other thing, Jim, when you talk to teammates, you know, about Stafford's presence and what it means, you can see that that, that he is like that rising tide that kind of lifts all emotions and, and expectations within that locker room. I mean, the way Jalen Ramsey spoke about him after week one was just, I don't want to say he was in awe, but you could tell that, that he was just so, so appreciative to have Stafford there and felt that he was going to go and take them, help take them to where they want to go saying that it was, you know, one of the best, it should go down as one of the best debuts in NFL history. Um, That's why I'm fascinated by this game on Sunday. I think it's going to be a tremendous matchup. And for them to get to play as defense as talented as as what Tampa has, um, it's going to be a chess match there between Todd Bowles and Sean McVay. and, And it's going to be fun to watch and see what happens. I love Stafford. I love him in that offense. I love him making that move to Southern California. You mentioned the game itself, Jim. Jim Trotter, my guest. What about that matchup? Who do you like? Man, it's so tough. Tampa's playing so well right now. Um, If I... If, I, if I'm put on the spot and have to choose one, I think I would go with Tampa right now from the standpoint that they, they have gone through the process of what the Rams are going through now in terms of an elite player quarterback coming in, learning a new system, and also adjustments on the defensive side of the ball where now you have Raheem Morris calling that defense as opposed to Brandon Staley, who's now the head coach of the Chargers. Well, the Bucks have gone through all of that. So now they, they have the growing pains, if you will, are out of the way. And what we're seeing from them early on this season is that they're picking up right where they left off. You know, with Tom um, leading the league in touchdown passes right now, um, uh, it's tied for the second most in, in NFL history over the first two weeks of the season. 
um, they're just playing at a phenomenal level in terms of efficiency and production right now. So I think that they are farther along than where the Rams are. Um, but what's interesting about this game, Jim, is that the last two times um, there has been a preview of the NFC Championship game, meaning those clubs met during the regular season. The team that won in the regular season also won in the, in the postseason in the NFC Championship game. So if we really think that this is, is a preview, potential preview of the NFC um, final, then history says the winner of this game could be positioning itself well to advance to the Super Bowl. So that in and of itself makes it a critical Week 3 matchup. I, I would love to refute the argument that you just made, but I can't. I'm trying to make an argument for the Rams. I'm going to keep trying to make an argument for them, but you're right. I mean, Tampa's already been through this. They're farther along. They, they're, they've already endured and overcome what the Rams are dealing with right now, but still kind of a coin flip. Jim, before you go, I want to talk to you about something you and I have talked about in the past. Eric Bieniemy's name has come up in regards to the USC job. I've got a couple of questions about that, but why don't we start here? What is your sense as to his level of interest in that job? Because we know he wants a pro job. How open would he be to the USC job? I think there's definite interest on the part if, if USC has interest in him. Look, Eric you know, played high school ball in Southern California. Um, he has ties to the area. He previously coached at, at UCLA. Um, and look, USC is one of those marquee um, um, programs. You know, regardless of the struggles it may have had recently, it's still regarded as one of the blue blood programs. So I think there would definitely be interest on, it, on Eric's part if SC were to have that same interest. Having said that, Jim, look, the reality is it's shameful that he would have to even consider going to college, um, considering everything he has done at the NFL level. You know, he has earned an opportunity to have a shot to be a head coach in the NFL. Um, his, his resume speaks for itself. Um, the quality of his work speaks for itself. The way his players speak about him says that he is ready and, and deserves that opportunity. It's just unfortunate that we're at a point in the NFL where um, he is not getting that opportunity. And I'll say this to you too, Jim. I think Eric is a, is a, a symptom of a much bigger problem when it comes to the NFL. Look, I, I like to say that he's the tree and we're missing the forest. Because the NFL has an issue right now as it relates to the promotion of, of, of blacks into decision-making positions, not only on the field, but off the field. You know, you can look at the league office among the, the top dozen or so executives there. There are only two blacks, um, as, as I recall. And even when you look in our media news group, you know, we have a league where the player population is 70% black. And there isn't one black person involved in the decision-making process of how these men are covered on a daily basis. So this is not just an on-field problem in the NFL. It's something that has to be addressed off the field as well. I think you're right. I agree with everything you just said. What about one more thought? How about Raheem Morris? I mean, I love what he has done since being a head coach back in the day. What about him? Is he going to get another shot? I think he should. You know, particularly, I, look, I thought he should have been in line for the, the Atlanta job considering how that, that club played after he took over last year. Um, Raheem was one of those young guys who came in, and maybe he, he got his chance too early in terms of there was a lot to, to learn. He's a young guy. But he has grown and he has matured, and I think he is ready for that, that next opportunity. And I do believe that if the Rams um, are able to put together a run and let's say go to the Super Bowl, that he will be in the running for um, a head coaching job, as he should be. We know on average since 2000, uh, seven head coaching positions become available each year, which is an indictment of, of, of the hiring process in and of itself. 
But that being said, if there's, let's say, seven openings this year, in my opinion, Raheem Morris definitely should be one of those guys who, who are included. And let me say this. One of the things that really bothers me right now is the media's role in all of this. Because in the first two weeks, I have heard the um, national broadcasters who are doing the Cowboys games each say that Kellen Moore is going to be a head coach in the NFL next year. Not should be, but is going to be. Okay? And so from my standpoint, you do not hear that when you see a broadcast of the Chiefs as it relates to Eric Bieniemy. You do not hear that when you watch a Tampa Bay broadcast of the Bucks, and, and they don't say that about Byron Leftwich, who is the offensive coordinator there. And that's why I think the media has to look at itself also in this process and say, what role are we playing and how are we contributing to what's going on right now? Extremely well said. He is a reporter and a storyteller for NFL Media. He is a Hall of Fame voter. He is an author of Junior Sale, The Life and Death of a Football Icon. He is a professor at San Diego State now and a very, very good friend of ours. Jim, I appreciate you. Great to have you back. Always good to talk to you. Appreciate your thoughts and insight on all these things. And I know you and I will chop it up again soon, Jim. I appreciate it as always, Roman. Good night.